0: Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. Ah, the NBA, the league that never sleeps. I promised you all I would get to the ESPN fantasy rankings today, and we will in the face of all this other stuff going on, but we certainly did add a few things to the ledger for this lovely Thursday show. Welcome to the podcast, everyone. It's Thursday. It's September the 22nd. We're 26 days from the start of the NBA season. We're coming down the chute. Can't believe it. We're almost there. You know, the funny thing is for me, from the podcast standpoint, and I don't want to diverge from regular discussion too much here, but, like, I get... Right when this, the offseason starts, I'm really excited to get to do, like, 20 or 30 theory shows. And then we got free agency, and you got the draft, and you got all that stuff in the between. And then there's this lull, and I start to think, damn, wouldn't it be nice if I just had content every day and I didn't have to think about all the other stuff, meaning box scores? I just had them to go on. Well, we're really close to that. I am at Dan Vespers on Twitter. I do hope that I will see at least some of you over there. I do a lot. I'm telling you, I do a lot on social media. I know that Twitter can be a vast hellscape, but I, if you, I recommend if you follow Ethos Fantasy BK, you get your news feed, you follow me, and, you know, a handful of other analysts, and just don't, don't get into all the, the rabbit hole stuff. You get fantasy basketball information so damn fast. So please do. Come on over to social media. It's just, you know, then you don't have to wait until the following day. You'll do the pod. This is where we can go a little deeper on stuff and social media. I've lost track of what episode the offset. I think this is 119, but, you know, you guys would know better than I would. And we haven't had an Arthur pod of the week yet this week on the show. But uh, I do want to talk about the ESPN Top 100 at the very least and go through some of those names, a couple of spots where names jumped out. But we also had some other weird news Between yesterday's show and today, many of it of the news, many of the weirdness surrounding the Utah Jazz, and then one very odd story related to the Boston Celtics, which from a fantasy standpoint really isn't going to play that large of a role, but it does certainly lean into our discussion from uh, the middle of August when we were doing season win total stuff for all the teams, and we had the Celtics going way under And certainly this story of Ime Udoka being suspended for the entire, well, likely, I think right now, it's not official, likely to be suspended for the entire season, that under looks better and better, better and better. And then our Jazz under was an obvious one, but now you can probably go and get yourself like a 7 or 8, I think the Jazz were at like 31, and now they're down in the low 20s as they... Jettison all their pieces out, and this is what we talked about. First of all, with Boston, they're the highest number on the board. Jazz were kind of in the middle a little bit. Opportunity to set up an arbitrage there, but anyway, I don't want to get too sidetracked on the email Udoka stuff. That's very weird. Um, it's not fantasy relevant, so we'll mostly dodge it. But certainly, from a team standpoint, this this puts a little bit of a pale, it casts a pale over that team for this coming season after making the finals and looking really, really good. And that was sort of the club we made a ton of gambling money on. Let's do ESPN ranks first. Then we'll loop back around to the two things involving the Utah Jazz that have happened over the last 24 hours. Uh, Arguably equally important, but one of them certainly funnier, at least when you consider the history of this particular podcast. All right first thing to note on the ESPN ranks is that they do have points league and category league rankings. It's not one of the other. it's not all lumped together. Now it really is one or the other. Longtime fantasy buff Andre Snellings did their points league rank. I think he's in 30 deep uh well, that will be coming up here in the not too distant future as well. But it appears as though Eric Moody did the uh category league ranking it doesn't list whether or not it's eight or nine cat i'm inclined to believe it's nine but i don't know for sure and frankly a lot of the category ranking boards uh, don't even really specify either to protect their own butts or just because they don't really care um, I'll try to post this link somewhere on social so you guys know what I'm looking at while we talk about it here, but a few things that jump out, let's just zip through. We'll do it round by round. I'd like to spend no more than two or three minutes on any given round. So we do have some time to talk about the jazz towards the end of the show, but let's get rolling here. The first round, uh, one through 12, Nikola Jokic, Giannis at number two, Embiid, Kevin Durant, Steph, Jason Tatum, James Harden is up at, a, at seven on ESPN, Luca, Kat, Dame at 10, Lamilla Ball at 11, and Trey Young at 12. So Trey much lower on the ESPN board than the Yahoo X-Rank board, but still higher than Yahoo's Projections board. Trey Young is all over the map right now. Here's an interesting one. Jimmy Butler is at number 13. Presumably this, by the way, has to be by totals. You kind of have to organize it that way because, like, if you know, for Kevin Durant last year, if you had him really high and then he missed 27 ball games, you're like, you can't say, oh, well, you know, I got it on the per game side. This has to incorporate games played. Uh, ESPN had Shea at 14. This was before the knee news, but even with it, I don't care. That's a pretty wild one. Kyrie at 15. Paul George at 16. Anthony Davis, by the way, Paul George at 16 is interesting. AD Booker, Bam 19, DeJounte Murray, Tyrese Halliburton, LeBron all the way down at 22. So they think he's going to miss a bunch of ball games, I guess. Freddie Van Fleet at 23, Donovan Mitchell at 24. This is after the trade, by the way. So this is after the adjustment on Donovan Mitchell. Certainly, as you look at the first two rounds, the things that jump out is that there's really no consistency. A lot of times, and this is very much the case with Yahoo rank boards tend to overrank younger guys on the up and underrank older guys on the down. It's why we're able to build old man teams. You just collect slightly older players who haven't completely faded into obscurity and you catch them in this just sort of being underdrafted bucket. This list is all over the map. Because... You've got Dame jumping back into the top 10 on ESPN, which is honestly closer to where he's going in a lot of drafts anyway. But you've also got Jimmy Butler jumping up to 13, another older guy. Then you've got younger tank commander Shea Gilgis-Alexander at 14, and LeBron all the way down at 22. So, like, with the LeBron thing, if you're going to blame it on games missed, I don't know how he's nine slots behind Jimmy Butler, these guys played basically the same number of games last season, and LeBron smoked him. I don't understand how to reconcile some of this stuff. And like Paul George up at 16, the assumption that somehow he plays in additional ball games. And you'll notice one name that we didn't call during that stretch is Kawhi Leonard, who's all the way down at number 39. And this is Kawhi. Like Kawhi Leonard and LeBron James are very much in the same mental bucket for fantasy drafts right now. Guys that are likely to miss 20-plus basketball games who have top six, top seven, top eight per game potential, why are they so far apart? And frankly, why are they so far down the board anyway? I get it. This is a head-to-head rank board, so there's an emphasis placed even more then like just traditional totals when you're talking about head to head you're sort of like totals plus at the top of your draft there's just a value in a guy being likely to play ball games but then what the hell is Jimmy Butler doing at 13 I don't understand this board at all from that one main perspective it's almost as though ESPN here in this rank board Where it's kind of picking and choosing where they wanted to incorporate games played in their analysis. With Kawhi Leonard, with LeBron, obviously, they very much did incorporate it. Because Kawhi ain't going to be number 39 per game. LeBron's not going to be number 22 per game. Not if his free throws actually do stay in the mid-70s. He'll blow that out of the water with his eyes closed. Same deal with Kawhi, who, like, look, I mean, he could be rolling at 80% and he'll smoke top 40. Bad Kawhi is still a top 14 per game guy. Good Kawhi is top five. But then again, with Jimmy Butler, they're just like, meh, I guess we'll just assume he does play in 60 mid ball games. Yeah, I switched the wording around there. So very weird here in some of the early going. Uh, DeAndre Ayton is at 25, so then again, they're like, all right, I guess this dude just goes back to being healthy. Robert Williams was at 26. This was before the news, so just throw that one out the window. We're not going to grade it. John Morant, 27. ESPN bringing him back down where he ought to have been from the beginning, and Yahoo's kind of done the same. Frankly, still a little bit too high. Anthony Edwards at 28. He's generally going earlier than that in all drafts these days. Damanis Sabonis at 29. Chris Paul at 30. Bradley Beal at 31. Rudy Gobert 32. Drew Holiday 33. ESPN's a little closer on that one. Kristaps Porzingis, 34. I'm actually happy to be drafting on Yahoo if that's where ESPN's got him because that means I might be able to sneak a few extra Kristapses in my games cap league. Vooch at 35, Miles Turner 36, Siakam 37, a little bit on the low side for Pascal. Demar Derozan 38, Kawhi Leonard at 39. I I'm not sure that I can argue with any ranking more than having Kawhi Leonard at 39. I was already pissed when Yahoo dropped his butt way the hell down out of the top. Where did he end up now? Where is he at the last list, most recent iteration? 34? That's walking into easy value. Darius Garland, all the way down to 40. Interesting, considering how high Donovan Mitchell remained on this list. Zach Levine, Terry Rozier at 42. So ESPN's got him pretty high. It's interesting, too, and I want to get through some of these other names and then kind of loop back to some of the philosophy differences between Yahoo and ESPN rank boards. Middleton, Jalen Brown, Jared Allen, Brandon Ingram, Michael Porter Jr. up at 47, notable with how early he is here. You don't need to take a guy who's coming off a big injury that early. McCollum at 48 finishes the fourth round. I want to try to do this through the top 100, and I realize it's kind of hard to follow when I'm zipping through, but don't worry, we'll go back and we'll kind of Isolate some things here. So just roll with me for a minute or two longer. Fifth round, Yaron Fox, Mikhail Bridges, earlier than Onyahu, Zion Cade, much lower on ESPN. Interesting. You'll see a lot of Cade Cunningham people celebrating on the ESPN side. Julius Randle, way too high. Jonas Valanciunas, Christian Wood, OG Ananobi, Tobias Harris. They haven't moved him down far enough there. Evan Mobley at 58. Which, by the way, not that crazy. This is, I think there's an assumption that Mobley's going to ratchet his defensive stats up to like 1 and 2.3, and if he does do that, then he gets to where everybody wants him to be. If he doesn't, this isn't that crazy for him. Nurk at 59, John Collins at 60. Next round, Ben Simmons, Jeremy Grant, a little too early there, I think. Jakob Pirtle, R.G. Barrett, category leagues? You sure you're looking at the same numbers we are? Dude hasn't been inside the top 180. In cat, I mean that's like oh well whatever I guess points leagues we'll just mush them together. Tyrese Maxey, Desmond Bain, Buddy Healed pretty early for Buddy if he indeed it remains on the trade block. Andrew Wiggins way too early in category leagues. I don't I mean I get it like he's been pretty durable in his career and maybe you could say the same, same thing about R.J. Barrett but how badly do you really want these guys? And Wiggins is better from a per game standpoint but jeez. Marcus Smart, Draymond Green, Jordan Poole, D'Angelo Russell, Kyle Lowry earlier on ESPN. Surprising. That's another old guy that they seem to like. This board is really crazy. I don't understand the philosophy. Scotty Barnes, way the hell down at 74. Colin Sexton, so they, this is post-Donovan uh, Mitchell trade, so now you start to get a little bit of a feel there. Clay Capella, Josh Giddy, Tyler Hero, Mitchell Robinson, Wendell Carter Jr., Keldon Johnson, Isaiah Jackson, Jalen Green. Next round, Brandon Clark, Sadiq Bey, Al Horford, Russ at 87. It couldn't pay me enough. Malcolm Brogdon still inside the top 100. That's a little confusing for me. Jalen Brunson at 89. Still a little bit of value there. Harrison Barnes, Norman Powell. Like, now you're starting... I don't understand that one at all. Gordon Hayward, Kyle Kuzma, Gary Trent Jr. This part of the board here on ESPN. And by the way, they do go 200 players deep, which we are not going to profile here on today's show. But... As we close in on the top 100, which, by the way, is Clay, Lonzo, Conley, Kevin Porter Jr., P.J. Washington, and Bogdan Bogdanovich, Brooke Lopez, Larry Markinen, Bobby Portis, Alperin Schengen, those are the guys just outside the top 100. The weirdness of the ESPN board comes down to this. And then we'll, we'll grab a few names here from the, the later chunk. But I, I got to pause because the one thing that jumps out, first of all, is that any list you look at, you're going to find fault with it in some capacity, whether that's mine, ESPN, Yahoo, whoever. Analysts all across the board. We all have our lists, our buckets, however we're doing things, and there are going to be problems and disagreement points. But one of the things that happens here with ESPN by not showing their work, because there's no projections on this board. Yahoo at least has, like when the, the X ranks don't, but the Yahoo projected stat rankings, they do show their work to their credit. Like, I want to make sure that it, it doesn't sound like I'm clowning on Yahoo all the time. Yahoo's X rank is completely nonsensical and out of left field and doesn't belong anywhere on any map, but it does steer draft boards, so it has a really big role. Here on ESPN, there's no work being shown. So then when you get to things like what we just saw here in this last little cruising altitude, you're getting this weird mishmash of guys that maybe are up there because they think they're going to play in a ton of ball games like Wiggins at 68. I mean, you can go through the records on him. I don't think he's ever had a per game season higher than 85 in his career. And if he has, uh it wasn't by much. And this last year he was pretty good. He was number 125. That was like a pretty good Andrew Wiggins. year before, he was 87. That was arguably the best for him. season in Golden State when a lot of guys were dinged up and he was sort of the last man standing. year before that, he was 92. He's pretty consistently between 85 and 130. Throughout his career, that's the way it's been. He added three-pointers in Golden State. That helped push him inside the top 100. That was a big deal because it covered the fact that his field goal percent wasn't that great anyway. His free-throw percent has always been kind of bad. He needed something to try to counterweight that a little bit, and threes was that thing. So then you look at this board, and you're like, all right, well, if Andrew Wiggins is a top 95, top 120, I mean, he's going to be lower because the Warriors come into this year healthy with, you know, a good Jordan Poole also, and Clay's back, who wasn't there for either of these last two seasons we've been looking at. Okay. You know, Wiggins playing in. How, how many games did he play in this last year? Wiggins played in 73 of their 82 games. So yeah, by totals, he'll be a little bit higher. By totals, he was at 87. Fine. Let's say he's like a top 115, top 120 guy who plays in most of the Warriors games. Sure, by totals, he could actually get kind of near 68. But if you're a drafting, he's not someone that you look at and say, oh, this guy is a sixth rounder. Because he's not. That's the fallacy of the mid and late round totals. I think I do a poor job, actually, on this podcast of really clearly delineating where totals and per game become relevant. And I try to go over it every once in a while, but it does bear repeating as you look at a list like this one. Totals are extraordinarily important for guys you draft that are better than the average fantasy player. Basketball Monsters rank Board does a nice job of this. They, They have about 200 players on their regular ranking sheet. And so that's kind of the grouping that they're pulling their stats from. Players inside the top 65 on that board are positive impact fantasy players. So basically... Anyone who's top 65 or better, you want them to roll up as many game per game, by the way, top 65 or better per game. You want them to roll up as many stats as humanly possible by, obviously, playing in as many games as humanly possible. On the head-to-head side versus the Roto side, there's a discrepancy here. Roto Games Cap... You want those top 65 guys or better. Someone rolling top 90 all season long on your Roto Games Cap League isn't really that valuable. It's kind of a weird thing to try to connect. The the synapse in the brain doesn't work entirely right here, but this this is a point we need to be very specific and we need to be very deliberate with our word choice about. Sadiq Bey last year was exactly number 100 on a per-game basis and played in all 82 of Detroit's games. On the Roto side, he actually wasn't particularly valuable. On the head-to-head side, he was extraordinarily valuable. It's a weird cutoff, isn't it? And I don't want to say something here that makes it feel like all of this is set in stone. If you're in a Roto League, I mean, I'm talking about 12-teamers right now. If you're in a 12-teamer on the Roto games cap side, using up all 82 games at a particular roster slot of Sadiq Bey was effectively like being a decent streamer for that slot all season long. The hope is that you can find guys that are better than that. So he's actually worse than your good effort your good faith effort to to be the ninth guy on your team because technically that makes him a ninth rounder on a per game basis you're hoping that most of the guys on your club are better than a ninth rounder when they're when you're deploying fantasy stats his very bad field goal percent was technically worse for your roto team than whatever counting stuff he was able to accrue last year but on the head-to-head side, having someone who was just, frankly, there for all 82 games was huge, because you can't make up those missed ball games. If he missed a game in the middle of a week, like a lot of these guys do, basically everybody in the damn league these days, you can't make up for that missed number. And so on a week-to-week basis, Sadiq Bey was actually more valuable than most of the NBA, because he just, if he had a four-game week, he played in a four-game week. He got you 64 points and 22 rebounds and 12 assists and four steals and a block and 10 three-pointers, and he weighed your field goal percent down a little bit, probably, although it fluctuated week to week, and he helped you in free throws and he didn't get you that many turnovers, and head-to-head side, adding those numbers to your ledger every week was a positive and a pretty obvious one at that. So then pivoting this discussion back to what we're seeing over on the ESPN rank board, it kind of doesn't really make any sense. So yes, maybe there's a chance at the end of the year that Andrew Wiggins is the number 68 player by totals, but that's not the guy you're looking to draft in the sixth round. We need to be more clear with how these lists are made, and that's why projections are so important. If the projection on Wiggins... Is that he's number 115 per game and he plays in 77 ball games this year. That's not a guy you draft in the sixth round. That's a guy you draft in the 10th round in head to head. And in Roto, I don't know that you draft him at all because those types of totals aren't actually that useful in a Roto games cap format. Where, looking at kind of the other side of this thing, uh, who are some of these players that are around him? Like, Jakob Purtle is five slots in front of Andrew Wiggins. Jakob Purtle is number 63, I would guess. I can't know for certain because, again, ESPN didn't show their work on any of this stuff. I would guess that Jakob Pertl is there because that's pretty damn close to where he was on a per-game basis last year. He was 67, top 40 the second half of the year. Played in 68 out of 82 ball games, which put him basically right on league average. And perhaps that's the expectation that he does it again. That he rolls like top 50, top 60, top 70, something in that range per game. Maybe there's some rest days, some shutdown days. Maybe he gets traded midseason, but you get roughly a mid-60s games played top, well, 60 range fantasy season. So my discussion here on the ESPN rank board isn't as much about where they have specific players, because, like, obviously, if this is the board that the draft room is showing, then when Wiggins comes up in the sixth round, you jump over that dude, and there are values to be had across the the board on ESPN. This discussion is more about how to interpret a board that doesn't have the work shown, and if it does, once you get into that draft room, well, even easier. Very quickly, and then I want to pivot over to Utah for a few minutes. The names on the ESPN board, I believe, if you're looking at it and thinking this guy's going way too low, early on in the draft, we already talked about Kawhi and LeBron, and frankly, head-to-head or Roto, those guys are too low right now. Uh, That's in in the earliest chunk of players, guys that are obviously going too low. Uh, I mean, the other stuff is all sort of arguable in that initial grump group. Dame, maybe a hair too early. Butler too early. Shea too early. Paul George, probably a tiny bit too early. As you get into that next chunk of players, there's a lot of guys that are actually about where they ought to be. Sabonis, Chris Paul, Gobert, Drew, Porzingis, Vooch, maybe a little bit too late still even. Siakam, little tiny bit too late. But again, a lot of that stuff is pretty accurate. Actually, through the mid-rounds. Kudos. ESPN got a lot of that like 25 through 50 stuff pretty good to their credit. And then it's just all over the map at that point. Now you're looking for where can I go and do some reaching. So at this point, it doesn't even really matter what order the ESPN guys are lined up in. You're just looking for the guys that you want, and that's consistent between site over site. Guys, the ESPN has way down the board where you'd have to do a little bit of fishing to find them. We already talked about the After 100 group. Brooke Lopez, Larry Markinen, Bobby Portis, Alperin Shengun, who's not nearly as high here as he is over on the Yahoo side. Uh, ESPN actually has Evita Zubats down here like he probably should have been everywhere. Mo Bamba down at 127. He probably won't be as good this year as last year, but... uh, that's too low. Jamal Murray, way... I mean, Michael Porter Jr. Is up in that 50 range. Jamal Murray is down at 130. Oh, uh, what? Paulo Bancaro, 137. Not that I'm all that interested, but he's going to go earlier than that in basically every draft on planet Earth. And uh, that was kind of interesting. Franz Wagner is way down at 152. Herb Jones we've talked about. He's at 151. Keegan Murray, 155. A lot of these guys are going to be flying off the board on ESPN side. Trey Jones, Devin Vassell. Those guys are very low for the Spurs for, uh, again, somewhat unknown reasons. So those are kind of your hidden guys. Not even all that hidden. Like we've talked about all these guys enough where you know who to go looking for. If you're in an ESPN league at this point. All right, 25 minutes in didn't leave me, didn't leave as much time as I wanted to on the Utah stuff, but Utah did two things over the last 24 hours. First, They signed Cody Zeller yesterday, uh, right after that show dropped. And initially the thought was, oh, well, all right. Well, Walker Kessler is going to kind of get pushed aside a little bit uh, by Cody. And maybe you're looking at a little bit more of a timeshare. And then today, the Jazz did something that I can't fully understand, actually. They traded Boyan Bogdanovich, who's on an expiring deal. So that in and of itself makes it somewhat of a valuable contract to the Pistons, for Kelly Olynyk, Dan Bespris' old man squad favorite, and Saban Lee. There are tweets Andy Larson, who covers the Jazz out in Utah, tweeted that this was actually a trade, no picks involved. So Utah didn't collect any clout, any pick uh, cash from the Pistons. And instead, apparently this was just a deal to get Olynyk with an extra year on his deal. I don't get it. I can't wrap my head around it. But the tweet from Larson basically stated that the Jazz think Olenek can be a really nice mentor to some of their younger players. Now, does that mean that they're going to play him and mentor in that capacity? Or does that mean that they're going to stash him on the bench the way the Pistons kind of did to try to teach younger centers how to space the floor, how to pass, vision, things of that nature, perhaps how to play a little bit dirty from time to time? Look, we all know it. We all know what happened. I don't really know for sure. But what it does do is it at least puts him back on the radar as a very late selection, very late at this point. And then if we see anything else as training camp kicks in, because training camp is like a week away at this point. No, that's not right. Like a week and a half. Uh, Then we reserve the right to adjust things a little bit because you guys know this podcast has been a delightful refuge for all Kelly Olenek fans for a number of years. And uh, after he got traded to Houston, I can't tell you how many people came back to me and were just like, Dan, you finally got it. And I was like, what, what do you mean? A, like, I think we've done a lot of good stuff here. And they're like, yeah, but it was the Kelly stuff. And I was like, oh yeah, okay, fair enough. It's, it wasn't actually that much fun for me to finally get the like a ton of accolades for one key player in all of this when I feel like we've been trying to teach fantasy for five or six years but whatever looking back and so now I'm the Kelly Olenek guy out there in the in the fantasy space for better or worse and you know anything but what it was is better at least this is like the unknown to some degree so no to answer your question I'm not out there drafting Boyan Bogdanovich on the Pistons no I'm not gonna say on this show that you absolutely have to draft Kelly Olenek I think he's very much worth a last-round look because drafts dry the hell up right around pick 100 if you're in a decently competitive league. So at that point, like, you know, 11th, 12th, 13th round, you're just taking shots in the dark anyway. You might as well take a shot in the dark with a guy whose fantasy stat set is robust. And maybe he's a guy that they play a bunch at the beginning of this season and then dial it off as they go into a harder tank. Tough to know for sure, but, you know, they've got Larry Markin and, They've got Colin Sexton. There's going to be somewhat competitive basketball on a night-to-night basis. And then at the end of it, they're going to try to lose a lot of ball games. So how do you get to that point? Well, you can play some guys early and give them some rest days. It's going to be tough, I think, on the head-to-head side. There's going to be plenty of rest for all of those guys in Utah as they try to pile up some L's. But I'll tell you, we've talked about it before. A higher-usage Kelly Olenek, which is basically any iteration of him where he's not buried four or five rungs down, and on this team, you know, arguing he second, third option <laughs> offensively. Woof! Depending on how many guys get traded, I guess. We'd, I'm sort of running everybody else out of town on Utah, and, and they're still there. Conley, Jordan Clarks, and stuff like that. Yeah, they're still on the team for now. Uh, As long as he's not the... Eric Spolstra is going to yank me if I do one thing wrong iteration of a Linux. He only needs about 25 minutes to be a really interesting fantasy play, and anything over that, he takes off in a hurry. So keep one eye on it. We're not going crazy yet. Keeping it in check here today for at least one day. But I admit, I did kind of squeak when I saw that trade. I went, ooh. Then I dug a little deeper. I went, okay, look, let's let's not get carried away because... This is what we thought might be happening in Detroit. And then they were like, "Mm, no, you're just going to play backup center. And then he got hurt for the exact stretch of time where he would have had the starting job. And like everything that could have gone wrong did go wrong. So it's possible the same kind of stuff happens in Utah. Maybe he plays 15, 18 minutes off the bench. Maybe the centers are all in a big three-man rotation. This could be very complicated and ugly. But he is better than the other ones. So... We shall see. Get him on your radar. That's the official uh, endpoint. That's the official position of this podcast after that trade went down. It's not go draft him in the seventh round. It's put him on your radar. Look at him in the 11th, 12th, 13th, 14th, 15th round range, depending on when everything gets really, really dry. Preferably 12th round or beyond right now. And then let's pay very close attention to quotes coming into training camp and then actual training camp in the preseason. All right, well, I guess we got through the Utah stuff a little quicker than expected. Hope you guys enjoyed the ESPN rank board. Many of you asked. We finally did get to it. Tomorrow, we got mocks, and it might be more than one. I want to try to jam through some roto mocks, and on Yahoo, they're not always super predictable. But what I'd like to do, perhaps, if time allows, uh, certainly over on the Twitter side, is if you're out there on social and you want to do a mock with me, Stay tuned because I will put a tweet out when I'm hopping in a mock. I don't know exactly when it's going to happen because my days are a little bit of a cluster mess. Uh, but stay tuned for that. I'll probably try to get into one that's kind of a random roto mock just to see the slightly lower level of competition. And we'll roll from there. And guess what, guys? Brewski 150 is out next week for Ethos 360 subscribers. Draft Guide gets it a little after that. Fantasy Pass gets it a little before the Draft Guide. The list... That rules them all. The B 150. The list that had Tyrese Halliburton, DeJounte Murray. I mean, those are some crazy wins last year. Terry Rozier, Mikhail Bridges, an eight cat, very high on LaMelo Ball last year. Brew gave you some ridiculous wins last season. Come get them again. Join us as I do the uh, Dave Chappelle, Rick James come hither move I'm doing the gif here you can't see it nor would you want to it would be very gross i am at dan Vespers on twitter this is fantasy nba today a sports ethos presentation the countdown is on and we will see you on mock day that's friday that's tomorrow holy hell another week is almost done so long everybody